Welcome to Everyday Martial Artist, a weekly podcast where you'll join me, Brian Doucet, as I interview a different martial artist each episode and hear their story. Some guests you may have heard of, and some you probably haven't. Be sure to subscribe where all your favorite podcasts are available. Also, visit our website at everydaymartialartist.com. If you're listening for a specific interview, I sure hope you'll stay and check out the other episodes. A very special thank you to Topher Williams for our custom theme music. And now, the newest episode of Everyday Martial Artist. Everyday Martial Artist is brought to you by KOonline.com for all your martial arts needs. Sparring and safety gear, rank belts, uniforms, weapons, patches, and more. Wholesale supplies made by martial artists for martial artists. Visit us today at KO-Online.com. Hello and welcome to Everyday Martial Artist. I'm your host, Brian Doucette. And as we do every Thursday, we're joined by a brand new guest talking about their life and their journey throughout the world of martial arts. My guest today used to be a senior designer in advertising and marketing firms in Detroit for over 10 years, eventually opening her own agency. After getting involved in martial arts, it ended up becoming a very important part of her life. She lived and trained in Korea for two years and returned to the U.S. and opened her own school. She's a speaker and presenter and has given talks all over the world, has appeared on the cover of martial arts magazines, and was named Black Belt Woman of the Year in 2019. She's also been inducted into numerous Hall of Fames and won countless awards. In 2019, she retired and gifted her school to her loyal students. She currently lives in Puerto Vallarta, where she teaches multiple martial arts for fun and continues her own training as well. She holds numerous black belt certifications, including an eighth degree black belt in Taekwondo. Please welcome my guest today, Ms. Rondi McKee. How are you doing today, Rondi? Oh, I'm great. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for taking you the time. Great for my story there. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you. So h- how, <laughs> how we like to kick things off, I want to go back to the beginning and find out what led, what, what was that first spark? What led to that first interest in martial arts and kind of how your journey began? Okay. Well, you know, I think there was always maybe a spark, but, you know, when we're talking like 50 years ago, I remember that, that uh, I never had heard of Taekwondo at that time. It was only karate back then, mm-hmm. or at least that's what everything was called. You know, they called it <laughs> Korean karate. Yep. But the only kids that took it were the kids that had behavior issues in school, and it was kind of a punishment. Really? So it wasn't something that we would ask to do. You know, like the bad kids got sent to karate. They had to do mm-hmm. karate for the discipline. Wow. Um, but, you know, as, as I got older and I started driving, I, I remember I was like maybe 16, and and I wanted to see what was going on inside of the school, but I was extremely shy. And I just, I will always remember my first impression of what a school looked like to someone who knows nothing about martial arts. And I try to remember that when I enroll new students, mm-hmm. you know, throughout the rest of my career. But when I walked in, it looked like a bunch of middle-aged men to me, you know, wearing, you know, strange outfits. And I swear it looked like they were playing leapfrog. I don't know what kind of an exercise they were doing, but <laughs> that's what it looked like. And it sounded like they were barking like dogs. And wow. they noticed me looking at the class. You know, I was a little girl. I, they noticed me looking at the class and, you know, one of them headed toward me, probably, you know, see if I wanted some information. And I was terrified. And I turned around and I left. I never talked to anybody. <laughs> and so I, I know that was a spark. And so I didn't start at that time. Okay. I actually started a couple of years later when I was, like, as you said, working in Detroit mm-hmm. and found that I was a little girl in a big city, you know, having to work in places where I probably shouldn't have been. And I found that I needed to learn some self-defense. And so when I when I actually did start, it was purely just to learn some self-defense. I was going to learn a couple of chop-chop moves, and then I was going to be out of there. And that was the plan. But that's okay. not what happened. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> so then how do you go about choosing a school? What What led to that? What type of research did you do? Well, you know, I, you know, when you don't know, you just pick what you go by. And, mm-hmm. and I worked in advertising. I, between 
my um, my work and where I lived every day. I went by a place, you know, that you know said uh, Taekwondo Olympic Taekwondo or something like that on the door, and you know I had a sign, you know, three lessons for twenty bucks or nineteen ninety nine. Like, okay, I'll do it, and I started there. And I made it to Yellow Belt. Okay. And it was and it was a great school, wonderful school. Uh, but I made it to Yellow Belt, and then I was asked to go to my first tournament. Mm. And that's when my eyes were really kind of opened, you know, as to how much more there was out there. And I really saw it, uh, instructors, uh, Korean masters, that really looked like they were in charge. And I thought, you know, if I'm I'm really liking this activity, I think maybe I need to upgrade a little bit. And so. What I did, you know, in Detroit, there's a lot of traffic, takes a long time to get to, to work. But I, I looked at the master that I wanted to go train with. I looked where his school was, and it was clear the other side of Detroit for me. And so I started putting in job, job resumes, and I changed my job so that I could move and go to that school that I wow. wanted to go to. <laughs> That's dedication. Wow. <laughs> Well, you know, now, nowadays it's so funny then for the next, you know, 40 years, students would tell me, well, I can't come anymore. I'm moving away. And I'm like, move, <laughs> you know, move, move closer to me. Or, you know, they say my job is transferring me. I'm like, well, change jobs. You know, I, I didn't think anything of it. I'm like, well, of course, if you love your school, of course you'll change your job and be close to it. That's great. Wow. But not everybody thinks so. <laughs> so. So thinking back then, that, that first of all, that first school, you took those first three intro mm-hmm. lessons. What was it that made you want to keep going and eventually get to the yellow? about to that school? What was it about it that drew you in and that you enjoyed? You know, the thing that I noticed the most is, yeah, I was learning some, you know, some kicks and some moves, but the thing that I really noticed was the difference that it was making in my work, in my career, in my advertising career. I worked in a department, there's 42 people, and I was the only female. I was with all these other male instructors, or uh, not instructors, um, <laughs> designers, and, and um, you know, just constantly trying to try to do double the work just to kind of keep up with them. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yep. I, I felt like I had worked so much harder and I was, I was really too shy. And the confidence that training in martial arts gave me, like I started changing at work. I started becoming more confident. I started jumping ahead. I started getting the, the better jobs, the promotions. And that's the part that I didn't want to give up was the changes that I found in myself. Okay. You know, the rest of it, I was still learning some self-defense and getting some good exercise, but I wasn't going to give up that change in my character for anything. Nice. And then when you when you finally switched schools, what was it about that instructor? I mean, you obviously saw something at the tournament, and you decided to give it a shot with a new instructor. What was it about that instructor he that made you? Like, you know, he had a lot more clout. He really seemed like he kind of controlled the tournament. I really wanted to. My first instructor was an American instructor, mm-hmm. which you know, I'm an American instructor, so nothing nothing bad about American instructors, but. I just wanted that Korean tradition. I just wanted the, you know, he was saying the words in Korean and he was, you know, I could see he had more of the tradition and that's what I was interested in okay. was not just learning just the moves, mm-hmm. but I wanted to really learn about the art. Okay. And do you remember and wh- like, which uh, Taekwondo system was that? Which, which Kwan was that under? Well, my very first one was Chongdo Kwan, but then I switched and then my grandmaster was Jida Kwan. Okay. But, you know, of course, everything was cookie one in the end. Yeah, correct. But I guess my, my roots, I guess, I, to any Kwan, I guess I feel uh, Jida Kwan. Okay. And then you, you had mentioned the competition. So you it was that something that you wanted to do or did they, hey, you're yeah, doing a tournament? You know, I, was, I was young. You know, you got that fight now you know, when you're young, you know, in Detroit. You got yep. that little fighting spirit. So, yeah, I, I really enjoyed competing in both forms and sparring. And, and my master had all his his uh, other, his friends that owned all these schools 
throughout um, really like in the Michigan, Chicago, and a lot of in, uh, in Canada as well. We had these circuits where there was a tournament almost every single month. And I really enjoyed that, but, you know, the travel, uh, the camaraderie, and just, you know, going with the team and going to compete. I really enjoyed that for a while. Nice. And which uh, which forms were you doing, the Paul Gay forms? I was doing the Pelgui forms back then. Nice. Okay. My school still I does do those, the, actually. I, forms. Yeah. I, I still do them. Okay. Uh, but, you know, we have to know the Taeguk as well. Yeah. I'm not a fan of the Taeguk. I don't know what, what it is about them. I just, I like the Pelgui, Pelgui better. <laughs> I always have. I'm, I'm not, personally, <laughs> I'm not a fan of forms. <laughs> but if I had to pick, you know I like the Pelgui. <laughs> yeah. Once you get older, you start to like forms more. <laughs> yeah. I can, I can probably, I can see that. I, I definitely like, I mean, I'm 48. I definitely like them more than I did when I was 18. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. And just, just wait, you know, you'll start to appreciate the forms even, you know, even more. <laughs> now, I, I really do enjoy them more than I did when I was younger. Nice. You know, I wanted more action when I was younger, but now I really enjoy the forms. Okay. What do you remember that that first tournament, what, what did you compete in sparring and forms at that first tournament and, and how'd you do? I almost did, you know, they were local tournaments, so mm-hmm. I almost did really well. I almost always took first in, in forms okay. and then, you know, usually like a first or second in sparring. Okay. So what? Uh, well, not always, but, what, you know, I, I had quite a few trophies and medals. I mean, I can't remember exactly, but right. you know, there's, a, there's quite a stash of them, you know, that decorate the school. So I got to ask, what, what, which was your uh, favorite Paul Gay form? Uh, chill. Okay. Seven. Yes. That actually is That's a good one. probably mine, too. That's a good one. And four yeah. is good, too. For competition, four and seven are both really good. So I wonder if your instructor did the same thing that my instructor still does with Paul Gay Forms. When you're, so when you're testing for black belt, and this is, this is a thing because I did not like forms back then when I tested. I, I hated this part. So he actually, you have to know, you know all eight of them, but he mixes, mm-hmm. he mixes them up. So he'll be like, all right, do the first four steps of Paul Gay Chil Chung. All right. Now do steps five through uh-huh. eight of Paul Gay Samchung. Oh, I've never heard of that. That's yep. good. That's oh, good. <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> I mean, I, I definitely see the benefit, but and like I said, you never know which order he's going to go in. So it's, it's talk about nerve wracking. <laughs> he used to do, he, you know, he had some creative things. Um, I remember one, he didn't do it to me, but he made one of the guys sing Mary had a little lamb while he did it for him. Really? <laughs> that was really distracting for him. Um, he would make us close our eyes, um, you know, face different directions, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, have you sit down and you think you're done and then boom, you're back up there again. Yeah. My instructor and, uh, had, had me make yeah, faces he, he would, at someone to try to get him to laugh. <laughs> I have an instructor now in classes that I take now that makes us do our forms starting to the left, the traditional way, and then starting to the right. Mm-hmm. That's so and that's tough. Really a challenge. Yeah, that's I, a challenge I, for me. I, I love doing that for the kids. It's like you know, because they always they're used to you know facing the flag wall, facing the flag, like all right, now you're gonna go you know, face opposite direction. They're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like you should you should know the form, not just based on how you're standing in the gym. <laughs> so yeah, it's the first time I had a kid do that. The look on their eyes, I almost felt bad. So. <laughs> But it's fun. Now we we for our black belt tests, they have to do them in all different directions, and they rotate around, and they do they do them all, and we do them. Um, you know, some are done to music, all different all different ways. You know, and some are done like in a, like demo team formation. You know, so they look really cool. Because we're we're not only testing for black belt, mm-hmm. but we're putting on a show for the audience. You know, right, for right. all the people that came to watch as well. Nice. And then when uh, so what do you remember about your first black belt test? What are some things that stand out? My first one. Um, just not knowing what to expect, you know, my mentor had five schools and all five schools came together. I do remember, I just remember doing one of the forms. I can't remember which one, but it was one where you spin around 
And I remember me and the guy next to me, we should have, we all started the same way, but when we fun, we were like nose to nose and (laughs) one of us was wrong. (laughs) (laughs) And we just looked at each other's eyes and then I saw him like fumble and I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) I got it right. (laughs) I do remember that. I just remember like, oh, that was, we were not supposed to be in this position at all. But, um, but then just not getting like no feedback. That was what was really weird. No mm-hmm. feedback. Wow. And we didn't get results for 18 months. Really? You know, when he was very old school, you know, I would say like, Hey, um, about those black belts, because you can't ask if you passed, mm-hmm. your master will tell you when you passed. I'm like, okay. So we just had to wait. Wow. And it, it really, it was when it was when a big, like a uh, international tournament was coming up and we needed our rank. We needed the, we needed our, our certificates or our cards or whatever. And, that's when he finally like gave to us because it was a necessity. That's crazy. Yeah, I found out the same. Yeah, that, myself, that I found out long. the same day. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I've heard other, other schools do that bit, too. Well, we we actually have them take the test, and then we you know we would send off and send them off to to Cookie One and get them back, and that mm-hmm. you know that takes a couple months. So they yeah. do have to wait a couple months yeah. in my school, but it's not yeah. not eighteen months. I had to wait to get my certificate, <laughs> but I did know that I passed. So I mean, that was that was at least okay. a good thing. Yeah. Fun. Well, we would we would say we would always say you're recommended. You know that oh. that we as a testing panel have recommended you, but you know it's not a done deal until you get it from Cookie One. Okay, that's actually not. No, that's no. what we say. Yeah, not bad to make them wait, but I also. Well, there's times where the cookie one's been a little backed up and getting sometimes it's taken six months to get a certificate so <laughs> yeah yeah they're not i mean nowadays you know it's all computerized so yeah. now it's not so bad it, it used to be like when you had to mail them in you yep. know um, back in the old days <laughs> yeah well i remember going to korea a couple times and standing in the office and they had this big giant typewriter and they would they would type them for you while you waited wow <laughs> They could cool. do like a little cup of coffee and they'd be like typing them, but it was like an oversized typewriter, you know, to fit those big certificates in there. That's cool. So that was, that was long ago. Nice. <laughs> so at what belt level, when, when did teaching become something that you started doing and, and realized you were wanted to you know pursue? Well, it's funny. I started teaching really early. I kind of had an interest and I had mentioned it to my master, like, when do I learn how to teach? You know, I didn't know like how do you learn how to teach? Mm-hmm. And so he said, okay, come on Saturday. And I was only a blue belt. I didn't mean like now, but he's like, come <laughs> on Saturday. Cause, um, Saturday is kind of like the little more lax day maybe. Yep. And so come on Saturday and he had me stand in front and he had a chair and he sat off to the side and he had, he's like, teach, you want to teach, teach, <laughs> like, so, you know, I'm putting in the spot there and, um, and I'm counting and he's like too fast, you know, too slow. You know, once in a while he'd like put his hand on his forehead and goes, who taught you that? <laughs> and it was, it was just horrifying. And this went on for like six weeks, every single Saturday, wow. you know, it's just him like telling me that I'm doing it wrong. And then like on the seventh week, he didn't show up. Okay. And that's when I knew I'm like, okay, I guess I'm doing it good enough. You know, the, and then he just didn't even bother coming in on Saturday. So Saturday was then my day. See, that's, and I just that's, on Saturday. That's cool. At least you had a little help. Mine was, I was a purple belt and my instructor's like, it's like, I'm giving you a class on uh, Tuesday night. Be here at eight o'clock. I'm like, yes, sir. So I show up on Tuesday night and I look out there and there's all these people that are higher ranks than me. It's all like brown belts, red belts. I'm like, oh, when does my class get here, sir? He's like, they're there. I'm like, what? And he goes, he looks at me, he goes, if they don't listen, give them pushups. He goes, class, Mr. Bryant's in charge. And he left. <laughs> <laughs> so mine was like, here you go. Jump in the deep end. 
Well, you know, all of this, I mean, even though it was kind of horrifying at the time, mm-hmm. you know, I, I feel like I did learn quickly, you know, yep. nothing like being humiliated to make you get better at something. But it, it made me always take notes of when I grow up and make my own school, I'm going to like give them some instruction on how to teach before I just tell them everything they do is wrong. So I exactly. learned so much stuff from my master. It's not necessarily the way that I would teach it or the, or the way that I did end up teaching it, mm-hmm. but it gave me really good ideas for when I made my own school that I made a leadership team. And the goal of the leadership team, we met every single week and we learned how to teach a class. Nice. You know, because my school ended up getting very big. And, you know, at one time I needed 40 instructors. Wow. And, uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> and so, but, you know, you have to teach and you can't just expect people to know what to do. And you can't be, you know, not everybody's going to come back if you sit at the edge of the class and yell at them the whole class. Definitely. You know, most people won't come back. So anyways, I got that really good idea of making that, that leadership team and really focused on teaching them how to teach a class. And that kind of moves to my next question, which you partially answered. So thinking back to that first Saturday class, what do you think has mostly changed about your teaching style over the years? Uh, just the confidence, you know, and just really learning to uh, read your, you know, to, to read your audience, you know, and to see if you need to pick up the pace or you need to slow it down a little you know, you've got someone having a hard time, how to break it down, but not in a way that embarrasses them, you know, in a way that you can make the whole class go through a drill that would help this one guy out and not, not draw attention to him doing it wrong. You know what I mean? Like, you just really learn how to take care of an audience. Okay. And, um, you know, I remember back in when I first started, you know, like one kid fell to the floor, he passed out. Okay, that class is too hard <laughs> for a new guy. <laughs> nice. You know, you learn, you learn, you know, you see someone, you know, you know, the look in the face or, you know, you're like, oh, let's slow that down a little bit. Let's break that down. So, so no, you just, there's nothing that's going to replace experience. I mean, experience is just gold. Right. So what led to the decision to you, for you to move to Korea? Uh, well, it really wasn't. It was, um, so you know, I was, um, was an instructor and then my master was like, you do marketing. How can I get more students? And I said, well, you know, did you advertise? And he goes, without spending money. <laughs> well, that makes, that's a bigger challenge, right? I'm like, well, there's a way to do it. And what we need to do is you need to tell people what you're doing. You know, I explained to them that uh, doing business without advertising is like winking in the dark. You know what you're doing, but nobody else does. So we need to let them know what's going on inside here and how much fun it is and how much fun the kids are having doing it. So I said, we need a demo team. And so I put together a demo team and we would go to the malls and we would go to the movie theaters and we would do our little shows and hand out flyers, you know, and people started to trickle in. And so, you know, of course, you want to make that demo team better and better. And one day my master comes in with this huge stack of, again, telling my age, VHS tapes, you know, the big tapes. <laughs> oh, yeah. And he said, watch these. And I'm like, all right. So I couldn't wait to go home and get my VCR out and started watching them. And it was of the Korean Tigers. Nice. Yeah. And, oh, my God, I was just glued. I was just like, oh, my goodness. This is stuff I have never seen before. I mean, the stunts, the tricks, the jumps. And so I'm like, okay, we need to do this stuff. Well, it's a lot harder than it looks. So he comes, he does stop by one Saturday and I've got a stack of chairs and I've got kids piled on top of kids and we're like trying to jump over and we're trying to do some of the stuff. And he he calls me out real quick. He goes, someone's going to (laughs) die. 
And he said, you, <laughs> I said, well, we want a really good demo team. He goes, well, you're going to kill him. He said, if you want to learn how to do it, I'll take you to Korea. And that's, that's really what opened the door. I'm like, okay. So we decided in six months, he would take me to Korea and we would go see the Korean Tigers that it was a, the coach was a friend of his and he could get me in to watch him kind of deal. Okay. okay. So, you know, we bought one of those cameras. So I looked like I worked for the news station. Remember the old, <laughs> the old cameras that oh, were yeah. so big that had the whole VHS tape inside of it. And the rest on your shoulder. And, uh, <laughs> yep. Yes, yes, exactly. Yep. That's what I said. Looked like the looked like it works for the news. So we bought one of those, and he told me, you know, he's like, Korea is much harder training than here, so you better get ready. So I hired a, a personal trainer. I did some extra training, and and um, and he said, oh, and they speak Korean, and so I enrolled in not enrolled, but I joined a Korean church where um where they would have um, lessons for Korean for the kids. You oh, know, cool. Okay. Kids, Korean kids that lived in them in America, so they you know practicing my reading and my writing and. You know, I had six months to get ready, and uh, we went to Korea thinking, this is going to be great. I'm going to get the best footage ever. I'm going to learn exactly how to do this stuff, how they do the setup. And I get there, and uh, it's a whole bunch of other foreigners <laughs> standing outside the door with a Korean tiger string with pretty much the same idea. They all think they're going in, too. <laughs> and the coach just stops us all dead. Nerd. He's like, you know, we're, we're training here. There's auditions going on. And, you know, we're putting together the next group and you can't, can't watch that. You certainly can't tape it. And I was like, oh my God, I prepared, you know, <laughs> six months for this. I was like devastated. I came all the way to Korea and my master said, um, it was winter, it was January. He said, do you have a, your doughballs with you? And I'm like, yeah, it's in my backpack. He goes, go put it on. I'm like, downtown Seoul. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, go put it on. Like there's no locker room, but luckily, you know, you know, like girls, when you put your suit on at the beach, you know, when you got to get dressed in the car, I did one of those, you know, <laughs> underneath my jacket, I got my uniform on nice. and I, I come around the corner <laughs> and my mess is talking to the coach and they, they let me in. Only, oh. they only let me in. I couldn't, I couldn't videotape, mm -hmm. but they said, they put me out there with auditions wow. and I'm like, okay, I'm going to die. So I'm in there with this, this group of, of all these guys and, you know, we're doing training. It starts off pretty good. I think it's pretty intense. And um, the, <laughs> I remember the very first day we had to go in this saddle stretch. And I could never go all the all the way quite down. I got pretty close, but mm -hmm. never all the way. And the coach uh, comes by on Aksan and he says, he says, can you go down in broken English? Can you go down all the way? And I said, no, sir. And he pushes on my shoulder, <laughs> just push me down the ground. He goes, now you can. <laughs> sure enough, now I can. <laughs> Luckily, I was young enough that nothing snapped or broke. But um, so it was, it was training like that. We trained. We started at ten, and we were done at like four. Wow. You know, we had like a lunch break, a lunch break, and like a little nap afterwards. But then, you know, started up again. And so I'm like, that was the best day of my life. That was wonderful. And at the end of the day, he says, "Come back tomorrow." I'm like, "What?" <laughs> okay, you know. So I went back, and that happened. Come back tomorrow. Come back tomorrow. Come back tomorrow. That went on for like two weeks. And I was like, now I was in the routines. I was practicing. My part was self-defense. You know, I was beating up the guys. Then, you know, after I was supposed to go back home, that was, that was what I was supposed to go back home. because I was only going for a one month, you know, tour. Mm -hmm. And I ended up staying, ended up staying and a little bit longer. But I said, no, I got to go. And they had given me a running suit with my name on it, embroidered on it. And they said, no, you're, you're going to come with us. You're going to do the tour with us. And I'm like, no, I have like a life. I got to go back. <laughs> and I, I went back to Detroit. And my master had left me. He had already gone back because he didn't stay as long as I did. But I'm like, no, these are like my new friends. I can't leave. I got I to gotta stay. So I, I came back to my school 
And the first thing I started doing was teaching like we were training in Korea. Mm-hmm. And my master comes out because I've got the music going and we're kicking targets now, which we never did before. He's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And I'm like, I'm, you know, we're, we're training. He goes, no, 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 you're, that's crazy style. But for me, that's what I had been doing for the last, what, I don't know, four or six weeks or something like mm-hmm. that. And once you see that style, like that high intensity, that energy, you can't give that up. You know, you can't unsee it. Yep. And I couldn't go back to my old way of, ah, cool, set. You know, I couldn't go back to teaching that way when I knew there was this much more exciting way that was so much fun. And he's like, no, you, you, and he sent me home. He was mad at me. And I'm wow. home and, and I had a fax machine. And it, that's when it had like the thermal paper and it would just come out in like one, one big strip, you know, so yep. it was all like piling up. And it was, it was my friends at the Korean Tigers and they're like, you got to come with us. We need you. You're in the sets. And they're like, join us, join us. We're flying to USA tomorrow. Join us. But they were, I was in Detroit and they were coming through like Portland. And uh, I'm like, no, I, I got a life. And, you know, I, I slept on it that night and I'm like, you know, I'm not happy going back to my school because I can't go back to the old way. And, you know, I don't know. I just, I'm like, no one has ever been given this opportunity before. I'm going to go. And I, I just decided I was going to go. And I put my, I said, okay, I'm going to sell my house. Uh, called a friend who was a realtor, sell my house. I had a friend that had a, a car lot and I brought my car over. I'm like, sell my car. <laughs> and I brought my two cats to my mom's house. <laughs> and I wow. said, watch my cats. And I said, I'm going to be gone a year. And my mom's like, what? And I was like, ah, pulling out of the driveway, you know? Like, bye-bye, kitties. And I went. I met him. I met up with him in Seattle. And I joined him for the rest of the tour. And then I went back to Korea with him. Wow. And I originally, I thought I was going to stay for one year. Because I'm like, what a resume. To put that on my resume. Mm-hmm. And then after one year, I'm like, oh, no, I got to stay some more. So I stayed for, stayed for two years. Wow. What a story. <laughs> what but, an experience. Yeah. And, you know, and, like, at that time, like, you know, it was before the internet and all that kind of stuff. And I, I spent the night before I moved to Korea at my mom's house. Cause I had me and my seven boxes. You know, all my worldly possessions were in seven boxes going to Korea. You know, and two of them were my computer and my printer. <laughs> and uh, my, my mom wakes me up in the middle of the night. She's like, you know what happens to, you know, to girls in Korea? I'm like, no, what? <laughs> She's like, I don't know, but it's dangerous there. <laughs> and I said, well, I am a, I am a black belt. <laughs> And, you know, she's like, wasn't everybody a black belt there? I'm like, I don't know. But, you know, I still went. And, um, you know, it was, it was, it was tough. It was, it was a, it was a big leap of faith, really. Mm-hmm. But I, I just really felt like I could not live with myself if I would not have taken that chance. Right. You know, I was like, I can live with making mistakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I couldn't live with like regretting, like wondering, you know, I, I'm the only American that's ever had this chance. How could I possibly pass this up? That's cool. So, that's what I did. And so in the two years you were over there, did you test at all when you were over there for rank? I did. Um, I did my fourth, my fourth stunt. I was already a third degree when I went. I did my fourth stunt test okay. there. And um, so, I, yeah, I came back. Came back. I was 30 when I came back. Okay. And that's when I came back and made a school. And what, what led that to that decision, and, and how did you end up in North Carolina? Uh, well, the decision was I was 30, and it's like, your bones just can't take that anymore. You know, <laughs> that was, I'm like, okay, I was already pushing it. I was already the oldest, you know, the... The rest of them were like in their early 20s, and I was 28 when I moved there. Yep. And it was just like, I, I think that's about all my body's going to take <laughs> of this, you know, doing this full-time hardcore like that. But it was it was great. But it was really time to get back and get a real job. Mm-hmm. And the reason I, I picked North Carolina was, wasn't that I was dead set on North Carolina, but I was just dead, dead set on anywhere except for Michigan. And that was purely out of respect for my master. Right. You know, he was... 
you know, I didn't want to go. I knew I was going to make it big. I just knew because I'm like, I've got the marketing background and now I have all these, these friends on the Korean Tiger team and, and I know all this cool stuff. And I knew I was going to make something great. And I just didn't want to ever be in a position where I would compete with my master. So I'm like, okay, so Michigan's out, out anywhere else. And, you know, I wasn't heartbroken to get out of Michigan either. Mm-hmm. So what I did was um, we traveled a lot on the team. And I was at the airport a lot in, in Seoul in, um, or in Incheon. But every time I would see someone that looked American, I would always stop. I'm like, excuse me, are you American? And they, you know, they were usually there on business. And I would ask, where, where's like a good place to make a business? Where's a hot spot in America? And a couple of people had mentioned uh, Research Triangle Park, which is in North Carolina. I knew nothing about the state. I had never been in that area before in my whole life. And, you know, you can't research without the Internet. I mean, <laughs> people can't. My students nowadays can't imagine a life without the Internet. But there was no Internet. <laughs> yep. I had to make I had to make phone calls by using chains. There wasn't even cell phones yet, and there wasn't even you know. <laughs> I had to save my coins and go downtown and use a payphone and, and twelve hour time difference and call back to the United States and call Chamber of Commerces and see what you know what they had to offer for new businesses coming in. And um, you know, I, I zeroed in on North Carolina and bought a one way ticket back to the United States to North Carolina, and knowing that I had to get open quick. I had a realtor pick me up and I told the realtor, I need to rent some space and it can be square shaped or rectangular shaped. (laughs) (laughs) And here's how much money I have. And I want as big as I can afford for that amount of money. And I, I asked them to get 10 places ready and promised I'd pick one by the end of the day. So I did, I had a, I had a, a lease. I picked the fourth place he showed me and got a lease going that first day and then had that school open in five and a half weeks. Wow. And how big was that first school? That first school, first of all, it was in a horrible area <laughs> in town. It was a nice town, but it was the cheapest part of town okay. because it was what I could afford. I didn't have right. a whole lot of money. So it was what I could afford, but it was 3,500 square feet, okay, which, was, which, made it, which made it a huge school yeah. to me, you know, yeah. for, for America. That was, a, that was a pretty big school. That's a good size. Yeah. And, but, it was in a, but it was in a horrible location, but I had my marketing. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to make up for the horrible location with this incredible marketing that I'm going to do all over town. And it did work. People found us. Okay. And how long were you in that location so before you got to move? I was in that location for, um, I knew I needed a bigger place after three years. Because okay. by the end of the third year, I had a thousand students and a thousand students don't fit in 3,500 square feet. No. You know, I was running classes till 11 o'clock at night. I was running classes <sighs> seven days a week. And I was constantly looking over my shoulder for the fire marshal because we had way too many people in that <laughs> in that space. So I knew I, I needed to find something. So I started looking. I you know I did the math and you you figure it out like you can either buy or you can continue to lease. And I'm like, in seven years I'd be paying the same amount, you know. But in seven years I would own something rather than just you know flushing it away as I pay lease every right. every month. So I decided to build. That was my big plan. Nice. I didn't know how to build a building, but I know how to read books. <laughs> I find <laughs> out. So you know, figured out you know how to how to make a building, and uh, not that it was that easy. But I guess after like maybe five years or so, I moved into the new building. It should have only taken maybe a year to build, maybe nine months, but mm-hmm. it ended up taking a year and a half because nine eleven happened in the middle of that. Ah, uh, okay. And construction came to a halt, and bank pulled out. My bone pulled out. You know, it, it was horrible. You know, nobody was working. No, you know, and it wasn't the time to make the world's largest martial arts school. You know, like everybody was scared. Nobody knew what was going to happen. 
So it, it took me took me like a year and a half, two years to get that thing open. Is that the location that is still exists to this day then, right? Well, it, it was 24,000 square feet what I built. So it was quite a bit bigger. <laughs> yeah. So it was it was a monster of a building. I mean, it was amazing. There's a YouTube video if you ever want to see it. There's okay. a YouTube video on my Facebook page. Uh, just came to the top because it, it was really cool. You know, cool. I designed the whole thing, painted it. The artwork's mine, everything. But when it was when I felt it was time for me to retire, you know, I had a heart-to-heart with my instructors, the ones that I knew would take over, and they said they didn't want it. They didn't want the big building. They said it was too much work. And, you know, they said, you, you're here seven days a week, you know, and you're working 18 hours a day, which was true. You know, half of it was teaching, half of it was maintaining the building, and it was just a lot to keep up. So they, they all said they didn't want the big building. Okay. So what I did when I retired was we went back to leasing. We downsized to, to 7,500 square feet. And now it's very comfortable. They don't have a huge overhead or anything like that. And that's, and still, so that's where they're at size, now. So. So, yeah, they're still in caring now. <laughs> okay. And at what point did you decide to start doing the, the, the seminars on like the business side of it and recruitment and retention and stuff? How did that start? Yeah, um, you know, I'm, I'm not really sure. It's not like I really planned to do that. I think I just started getting asked to do that. Okay. You know, and, uh, you know, some of the locations are like phenomenal locations. I'm like, yeah, I'll go. <laughs> you know, like I said, I was I was shy, but you know, I can talk about martial arts forever. You know, mm-hmm. go to a party and I'll probably sit there, be nice and quiet. But if we're going to talk about martial arts, yeah, I got lots to say. So, um, you know, I was really just telling people how I did it. You know, because people people want to know, like, you know, were you born rich or did your dad do martial arts or you know how'd you do it? And I'm like, really, we started from scratch. You know, but it was that combination of keeping the Korean tradition mixed with American business. You know, you got to treat the customer, you know, like customer, not yell at them and things like that. Definitely. <laughs> so, so it was able to combine those things together. Okay. So that's, when that's, did you start doing that? What, like how long ago? You know, I guess I it kind of ramped up. Like once I made the big building, then mm-hmm. there was a big interest. You know, the magazines started noticing. Makes sense. Um, yeah. And then once you're in magazines, then places start calling you. So I think, you know, I probably did seminars like at the Super Show in Vegas, you know, for probably 10 years. Did them in Atlantic City, like Kama. You know, a lot of those places that hold those yearly conventions, I would always be a speaker there. And then trying to think of uh there's just so many places and then like some foreign places as well so i started traveling to other countries because most other countries are kind of behind as far as um, martial arts business goes right you know and uh you know so into the uk they weren't even doing they weren't doing any kind of contracts or memberships yet you know they were all just renting space by the hour at a, at a ymca um i went to aruba because there was no Nobody there had yet made their made a building or made a, a school that was just for that purpose. You know, they were just teaching in the public schools. Right. You know, I did a bunch of cities in Germany and all over the place, really. Awesome. I mean, that's especially if you like to travel. <laughs> Definitely a lot of fun. Yes, so. Yeah. And I mean, like I got to go to some amazing places. So Spain and Italy uh, at the Coliseum. Um, Mallorca. Yeah. Some wonderful places. So, I mean, I really got to see the world, you know, through martial arts. Okay. At what point in your martial arts journey did you start cross training and and start training in other styles of martial arts other than Taekwondo? Uh, well, I started Taekwondo and Hapkido back in Detroit Okay. because we had another instructor that taught Hapkido. So I did both styles there, although I did start in Taekwondo first. Okay. And then I picked up Hapkido as well. So I trained in both of those. And then, you know, one thing with having that big school, everybody wanted to see it. You mm-hmm. know, masters would, would call me and say, hey, can I come see it? 
And so this was amazing for me that I'm like, yeah, you can come see it. You got to teach when you come. And so they would teach a seminar. And, you know, so I would get to jump in and and train with these incredible masters. And then some would even, you know, stay for a while, like stay a year or two and, you know, start up a program. So I had some people that stayed with me for like even 10 years, you know, like kickboxing program. And we had, um, Oh, like a Tai Chi. We had, and then of course Wing Chun with uh, yeah. Tifu Samuel Kwok and uh, Kumdo, Kapawea, Judo, Salat, Kali. And so I would always make sure that I would always schedule those classes mm-hmm. at a time where I could go in there. <laughs> so that was part of the deal. Okay, I'll, I'll give you space to teach here, but I could be your first student. I get to train for free. Okay. That was always a deal. So I got to train in so many different styles and with so many amazing masters. It's, it's incredible. How was, uh, how was capoeira and training? Capoeira? Yeah. It was, you know, I would say I probably don't have that much dance rhythm. So <laughs> it, it, was, it was really fun, but we got to the part where you had to like chant into it. And it's mm-hmm. like, I, I wasn't really into the chanting part. You okay. know, and, and then we had to play instruments and I wasn't really very yep. good at that. The birambao, <laughs> yep. I tried, but but uh, I wasn't the best student. We'll just say that. <laughs> but I did have fun. That's a style I've always wanted to try, at least when I was younger. I don't know about now. I don't know if my knees could take it now, but I always wanted to try it when I was younger and never got to. So, <laughs> yeah, it was it was fun, you know, just trying so many different things. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and, and they all seem very different, but in some ways they're all very much alike. And even, even now, I... You know, I picked up uh, Shotokan Karate, which is completely new for me. Yeah, you mentioned that. I picked that, that up just That's since awesome. I've been here in Mexico. And how are you enjoying that? Because that, yeah. that, that was actually my second style I started when I was in high school. So I love it. I love it. Um, I just got my purple belt. Congrats. And, nice. You know, it's, it's funny. When you're, you know, when you're in eighth degree black belt and when, when meshes have seen you in the magazines or maybe even come to your seminar, it's hard to just walk into a school and say, I want to be a student. Mm-hmm. You know, that makes them very uncomfortable. Yep. You know, when I first got to Port of Vallarta, one of the very first things I did was, you know, I had already done my homework. I showed up at, at the best martial arts school, at the best taekwondo school. And I walk in and the master looks at me and goes, are you here to make a school? I'm like, no, no, <laughs> no, I'm retired, you know. And then he says, are you here to buy this school? I'm like, no, no, I don't want to buy it. I just want to train. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> nice. Now, and, and, and my Shotokan instructor really had a hard time with, you know, I'm like, I'm a white belt in Shotokan. I've never done this before. And he's like, no, 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 you have to wear your black belt. And you have to be at the front of the class. I'm like, no, I don't know what I'm doing. And, you know, and these kids, they've earned their rank. I'm a white belt like everybody else. Mm-hmm. He had a hard time with that, you know, and it took him a really... I'm like, stop calling me Master Rondi. <laughs> and so I've heard, I've heard that from so many people, different, different ways. Some people would rather wear their higher rank and some people would rather wear the, and I, and I see both sides and it's, you know, whatever's comfortable with you and the instructor. And it's, it's cool though. I mean, it's, it's kind of fun to go back to the beginning was, and start over. It was just because he, he, he really shows me a lot of respect, but I'm like, no, when I do it wrong, you yell at me, like you yell at everybody else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I really just want to be a student and, you know, have you read the book, The E-Myth, where it talks about, have you read that? No, I haven't, actually. That's a great business book. Okay. But it talks about making systems. And that, that was really instrumental when I put together the school, the concept for the school. But it also talks about how, you know, I love martial arts, so I'm going to make a martial arts school. And then when you become successful at it, what happens is you watch other people while you're managing the office enjoy your martial arts school and you don't get to enjoy it as much as you thought because you're running the business mm-hmm. and you're taking care of the customers. And so after retirement, I get to go full cycle. I get to go and be a student again. Very and cool. so that's, that's what I'm really enjoying. It's just, cause this is how it all started. You know, right. I just, 
it all started just because I love martial arts. Well, and that's a great reason. So, so good. So yeah. what yeah. what led to you getting involved with and founding uh, some of the charities you, you've worked with? Yeah, we founded a, a charity called the White Tiger Community Cares. And, you know, we were teaching these kids to, like, you know, break stuff, kick stuff, you know, mm-hmm. to, to rip everything up. And I, I just thought, well, it's only fair if we teach them how to build things as well. Mm-hmm. And it all came to do with a Black Belt project. I think almost every school has some sort of, of a black belt essay that they have to write. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yep, right? Yep. Have you done that too? You have to yes. write a two-page typed essay? Okay. So here's my story about that. Back in Detroit, I took my first degree black belt, and I wrote this essay. You know, it had to be an essay about what Taekwondo means to you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had to do some soul searching. You're like, okay, I really got something to write here. You know, I wrote it with, like, with a box of tissues, you know, I'm like, oh, my God, it was so deep, you know, and I'm like, oh, my God, my instructor, I'm sure he's going to cry when he reads this, you know, this is so meaningful, and I worked so hard on it, we had to type it out and put it in a manila envelope and sign your name across it, you know, as you sealed it, and hand it to him with your black belt application, you know, and nothing was ever said about it, you know, we did our black belt test and nothing was ever said, and I would swear, like, two years went by, and my master was in Korea, and I thought, well, I'm going to be the favorite student and I'm going to clean up his office because it's a disaster. So I'm going to go tidy up his office. And when I was tidying up his office, I came across my envelope, not even opened. Wow. And, and you know, and I thought about it. I'm like, well, why would he read it? Why do I need to tell him how great Taekwondo is? He already does it. He's going to do it for the rest of his life. So, so what a useless point this was. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to change this. So for my students, for Tissy, for their black belt, instead of giving me a two-page essay about why Taekwondo is so great. I'm going to do it for the rest of my life anyways. They don't need to tell me. Why don't they tell it to other people that haven't tried martial arts? So instead of writing the paper, I have them do a project. And the project could be helping us teach a class to their PE class, you know, and showing all the kids at their school all the great things about Taekwondo. Mm -hmm. Or how about you write something and get published in a magazine? Or you write a story to the news and see if they'll come out and film it. So what their project was is something that would show non-students, prospect students, how great martial arts is and and possibly be plant the seed in someone else's mind about starting. And that's what happened is over the years, people would be like, oh, my God, I did this uh, demo at my school and, you know, three kids joined and now they're getting their black belt, you know, so it just kind of worked that way. So. That's great. That's a really so cool idea. I kind of forgot the question. <laughs> no, that's that's actually a really good idea. It's just kind of how you how you got into, into the charities. Oh, oh, oh okay, okay, yep. yes. So, in addition to that, we also do a group charity project, and okay. the group charity project we did a number of different things. We would hold yard sales, you know, car washes, all these different kinds of things, and that money would go to this charity, and the charity funded the kids who couldn't afford martial arts in our town. And these were usually kids that had no after-school care. Mm-hmm. And so we got the police department to join in with us and the police department would actually drive them to our facility after school. We would teach them. They had to practice, you know, the black belt character traits. They had to turn in progress reports from school. They had to stay in school. And when they did that, all of their training and materials was free as long as they continued to go to school and you know teachers would say that they were trying they didn't have to have perfect grades but they had to at least be in school and and trying right and then what happened over the years is you know it doesn't cost that much for us to teach a class but we were raising so much money because we tested you know hundreds of black belts every year 
So we had all this extra money. So these kids that they stayed in school, they're like, okay, I stayed in school, like you said, and I graduated from high school, you know, like you told me to do. Now what? Well, like, well now we can afford to send you to college completely free. Wow. And so we were able to sponsor these kids and send them to college. And I mean, you know, from where these kids came from, they didn't have a chance. And so, you know, it just changed their lives. It changed their lives completely. That's you know, cool. their lives and the lives of their families. And so it, that's why we got so much into it because it, it made such an impact in our town. Mm-hmm. It was just amazing, you know, what kids could do. You know, you got a 10-year-old test for his black belt. Oh, what you have to do? I had to do, you know, I had to do eight forms plus choreo. I had to do some sparring. I broke, you know, six boards and I put a kid through college. <laughs> <laughs> nice. nice. You know, that's pretty impressive. What led to you getting involved in this TV series that you were on? Which one was that? Uh, what's was that the, Zen, the Beauty? Zen Beauty? Yes. Okay, that I just got asked to do it, and I wasn't sure that I wanted to do it, but it was a couple weeks out in uh, San Diego shooting, okay. and it was fun. It was it was just a pilot for uh, for a TV, and it was it was what they did was they took uh, a couple women, and some were what they considered natural beauties that did. It was me. I did. I guess I was one of them. I was the Taekwondo. There was a yoga and like Pilates or something or a ballet or something like that. Mm-hmm. So women that did something to keep themselves youthful. Okay. That was natural. And then they had, they kind of like compared us, I guess, to women that had had a lot of uh, enhancements. Okay. <laughs> so it was like, wow. It was just odd. <laughs> okay. I didn't know anything about the show when I read it on there. So interesting. <laughs> I mean, it, it was fun for me. You know, yeah. I got a fun trip out of it. They they took really good care of you. You know, you get pampered. It was really kind of fun. But it, it, when you do something like that, it is a whole lot of standing around waiting to do something. Okay. So, you know, I, just, I thought I would try it, but I'm like, no, this is really isn't for me. I want to be back at the school actually doing something. Okay, cool. But it was kind of fun to be pampered for a couple weeks. Nice. And I definitely wanted to ask, in your in your um, resume here, it says you've done a few columns for Taekwondo Times Magazine. I'm curious, uh, first of all, what you enjoyed about that, and then have you ever considered writing a book? Ah, oh, good question. Yes, I wrote for them for, I think, like, what, 10, 12 years. Mm-hmm. And I just, you know, I just kind of stopped like when I, when I retired, but I wrote two columns for them. I wrote one, uh, East meets West. Yep. I wrote about my experiences, you know, as an American living, living in Korea. And just a lot of it was just kind of funny. I found, you know, just so different. Mm-hmm. And then the other one was a business column that I wrote that I would give little tips. Like one of them was, you know, do a project instead of an essay for the black belt requirements. And yes, I'm working on a book. Oh, cool. I'm actually, awesome. all these seminars that I used to teach, I probably have like maybe 18 different subjects that I would teach seminars on. Mm-hmm. And what I'm doing is I'm taking each one of those and turning it into a book form. So I'm really not traveling that much to do these seminars anymore. But people are still contacting me, like still, even even a couple of years after I stopped and people are they're like, I saw you at the Super Show or I saw you here. And what did you say about this? You know, they're asking for more details. Right. So I'm putting them together in, in book form. That's really cool. And when did you so have a I'm working on target date when, when the first one will come out or hoping? <laughs> no, we don't have target dates here in Mexico. <laughs> it just gets done when it gets done. <laughs> So, you know, I, I do my writing usually like on the beach. I'll bring my computer and I'll, I'll write some. So but I, I will get it done, but okay. I, I don't have a date yet. But the first one that's going to come out is a year of marketing. And it, what I did was I took my note from what I would do, and I did it three months in advance always. So, mm-hmm. you know, whatever your, your uh, date is today, the work would have been done three months ago. You know, that way you can always order your supplies, train your people, or whatever you need to do. Yeah. 
um, get your permits or whatever. So it's just kind of like a guidebook. You would open it up to, you know, today's date, I guess, and you would look, this is what you're going to do in three months. And it would, I've listed things that I do as kind of like blanket marketing. Now, none of my stuff was paid marketing. I never did any paid marketing because mm-hmm. uh, I always knew ways to, to not have to pay for it. But I would do blanket marketing to the general public. Then I would do a little bit tighter marketing to the people on my warm leads list. And then I would always do something uh, fun for the employees, you know, employee motivation yep. and for my team. So I had all these different different areas that I would make sure that I touch base on every single month. Okay. You know, try to take care of all these different sectors every single month. And that's what it is. It's a guidebook to that. And I think it'll be really helpful for schools. Okay. And, um, cool. you know, because when you go to a seminar, you take notes, but yep. you don't always remember. And this way they'll have the pictures and the words and the links and everything that they'll need. That's great. I'm excited I'll for that. Right I will definitely be checking that one yeah. out for sure. So talk a little bit about what is, uh, is it, is it Sisuquan? Sisuquan. Sisuquan. Sis- mm-hmm. Okay. Sisu, first of all, is a word that, um, that I grew up with. My heritage, we're Finnish. My family's Finnish. Okay. And Sisu is a word, it, it, you can't even, it doesn't have an exact translation in English, oh. but the best way to describe it is like courage, determination, you know, like incredible determination okay. um, against all odds, you know, just never give up, just really, you know, spirit that you spirit. in martial arts. <laughs> When I was growing up, we had that, that was, the word sisu was like on every t-shirt that we had, on every cap that we wore. We always sisu, you know, you kind of put your hand like sisu, you know, as a country, Finland uses that as like a motivation. Mm -hmm. So years ago, when I was in in Korea and I was talking to some grandmasters and they were asking questions about how come I teach the styles that I teach? Because my styles that I really focus on are Taekwondo, Hakido, and Wing Chun. And the reason that I really like those three together Taekwondo is your long range, your Hapkido is your mid range, and then your Wing Chun is, I always call it your elevator fighting, is your close range. And I, I think that they make a nice, well rounded package going together. And so they, they said, you know, we're going to recognize you as your own Quan. And they said it was like the 49th recognized Quan. And so they said, you know, you need a name. And so right away that word came to me, Sisu. So Sisu Quan. So now what I do with that is, you know, I do certify my students through the Korean Hapkido Federation and through Kukiwan. But in addition, if they want, I can also offer them Sisukwan certification. And what a lot of masters around the world are using this for is the masters that kind of fell through the cracks, like mm-hmm. the orphans. And by that, I mean like like the masters that run their own schools, but their master has long passed and they don't have anybody to test them or to certify them. And they don't know how to get their continuing ranks or the, you know, school owner that, that does use cookie one certification, except for his own master didn't get him cookie one certification. And you can't go from no cookie one to fifth degree or sixth degree, right? right. You have to yeah. do them in order. You know, they say they offer skipped on, but those are rare, and mm-hmm. I've never been able to pull one off. Yeah. Um, so it, it kind of fills in the gaps for that. You know, it's something to put on the wall, you know, to kind of show your students that you've, you've worked for it. Because some students need that. You know, you usually need that certificate wall yeah. to show what you've done. So I can I can help masters out with that. In yeah. fact, I've got a bundle that I'm mailing out today. Some to USA and I've got uh, one's here in Mexico and one's going out to Ecuador. Nice. So what is some advice you would give someone who's thinking of getting involved in martial arts for the first time? They've never done it and they just want to know what should they look for in a school? What should they look for an instructor and maybe some things they should avoid? Hmm, that's a good question. Unlike me when I just kind of just walked in, you know, <laughs> I, <laughs> you know, cause you, you just didn't know. 
I, I just, you would just have to go and just watch. I would watch maybe a few classes or go try a little trial package mm-hmm. and test it out. You know, make sure that it's a distance that you're comfortable with driving because it is something that you need to do a couple times a week. And also, you know, schools focus on different things. There are some schools that, that are more for character development, more family class. There are some that are more about competition mm-hmm. and just make sure that it fits what you're looking for. You know, so kind of do a little bit of research and, and go ask. And, you know, a lot of times they'll let you sit in the audience and just watch a class and hear the parents, see what they say, you know, what the others are talking about and see if it's a fit. Nice. I think most schools do a trial package. You know, yeah. I, I guess I would avoid going to any place that demanded that you did some kind of a long-term contract yeah. just right off the bat. Agreed. You know, you should always get a chance to try before you buy. So as a traditional martial artist, what are your thoughts on MMA and the UFC? And is that something you're a fan of at all? Oh, I love watching it. Okay. I, I absolutely love watching it. In fact, um, a fighter from our school uh, here in Mexico was, was on TV last night. Oh, cool. And he won. Oh, but he's so, he's really, they train really hard here. That, okay. and there's, you know, there's no pampering here. There's no air conditioning. You know, schools are on the second or the third floor. It's just suffocating. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no comfy air conditioning, no comfy mats. But it, it was a good fight. I love to watch it. I don't encourage, I didn't encourage my students to do it. Right. Because mostly my students that could afford, you know, my prices were, you know, had jobs that wouldn't allow them to go get beat up and get back to work <laughs> the next day, you know? Yeah. Uh, I was more professional uh, workers that couldn't really dedicate their time to actually competing in it. But yeah, I absolutely love watching it. Very cool. All right. Who are maybe three, four, five names that you would put on your personal Mount Rushmore of martial arts? <laughs> I was, well, I got to name my instructors, right? Mm, yeah, it's, it's up to you. It's your personal Mount Rushmore. Okay. Like, okay, uh, okay. Let me see. Let me see. They can be people you've met and trained All with. Right. They can be just people you look up to. Oh, people, people, people that I've, I've trained with. Okay. Of course, my Sifu, Samuel Kwok. Mm-hmm. He's just, he's amazing. He's like the Energizer Bunny. He just teaches, teaches, teaches. Uh, Tim Hartman, he does Arnis. He's out of Buffalo. Cool. He's a great guy. He's great to train with. Really good classes. He's going to be coming here. I've got him scheduled to come here. Oh, awesome. He's going to teach on the beach with me. Okay. This is, this is a name that maybe not many people know because it's with the Dragon Society. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rick Moneymaker. Oh, That's yeah. martial science. That's after you've, you've trained for many years and you're looking for like, what else is there? What else is there? And then you're like, what do these forms really mean? That's who you need to train with is the dragons. Okay. It's um, their philosophies on, on the, the forms, on the bunkai. Nothing that you would ever even think of. Really amazing. Cool. Ji uh he came and he, he taught for us. Hapkido seminar. Amazing guy. Again, energized mm-hmm. money. Grandmaster Kimo Jay from Korea. He used to be the dean of Kukiwan. And when I was in Korea, he really, really took good care of me and made sure that I got into the Kukiwan Academy and made sure that I got to train in all the right places and meet all the right people. And he's come to America and come and judge at my school. He always calls himself my uh, my Korean father. <laughs> nice. Okay. Um, and there's many others. Yeah. Many others that you know I could take a day. But hey, that's a good start. Though. Those I, are just you're... amazing martial arts. And of course, my master, mm-hmm. Tiger Chung in Detroit. I think you're probably the first guest that's actually list uh, their whole list is some people that no one else has ever listed. So that's because most people will throw like Bruce Lee or Chuck Norris on there, <laughs> and you're the one of the first that hasn't done that. So that's cool. <laughs> Nice. Well, list. I haven't trained with him, but <laughs> well, they, and they—they they don't—they don't have to be people. Yeah, they can be people, people you trained with, or just people you admire. I mean, it doesn't have to be someone you've trained with. Oh, but, okay. but no, that's still a great list, though. Okay. Good. So, in all your years yes, of martial arts, list. then is there a one or two philosophies that you've learned throughout your martial arts journey that just rise to the top and they're super important to you? 
I guess, um, really just never stop learning. Nice. Uh, just never stop, never stop being a student. Uh, I think that's, that's just the most important thing, you know, for your martial arts, but I mean, just for your, your life, you know, you just got to live your life. Just, just keep going forward. I think the, the day you stop is the day you start to get old. Yeah. And, uh, one thing that my master, uh, Sifu Samuel Clark always says, when you do go to a training seminar or when you do, do go to class, uh, I don't know if you've heard this, but he says, bring an empty cup. Mm-hmm. Have you heard that? Yep. I've heard that. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So I think that's really important too, that even if you think, you know, what the instructor's teaching, I'm sure there's something, there's some little golden nugget in there that you can find. I think you can learn something from any seminar or any class that you go to. You can always learn something new. I like that a lot. All right. I got a few fun ones to wrap it up. Uh, first one is a favorite martial arts book. I don't know about a martial arts book. I don't really No, I have, I always read business books. Oh, okay. Was well, there a, a good business one that you think would be beneficial to martial artists? The, anybody that wants to make a school, uh, they need to read the E-Myth. It's by Michael Gerber. Okay. So the E-Myth and that we'll talk about how to make systems because if, if you just open up a school and you just teach the classes yourself, you can only get to be so big. But if you want to really make a successful school, you need to learn how to think what, where am I going to be at five years from now, 10 years from now, and who's going to take over? Okay. You know, I knew who was going to take over my school for the last 15 years, you know? Wow. All right. How about, so I, I would say that would be the number one book. Okay. I will add that to the list. Cool. Now this one, you may, maybe you have an answer for, maybe you don't, but do you have a favorite martial arts video game? Were you ever a, a gamer? No, no, I'm not. Okay. So that's, <laughs> that's, that's before me. <laughs> it's about 50, 50 with my guest on that one. Hey, there you go. Pong, Pong is the last video game I played. <laughs> you're, the funny thing is you're, you're my second guest that mentioned Pong. So that's kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. All right. How about a favorite martial arts TV show? It was kind of martial arts, The Highlander from long oh, ago. Yes, love. actually, Adrian Paul was yeah, a guess, form, former guest. Yeah, he was on. Yeah, he was yeah, on my show. Was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. No, I, I, got, I was lucky enough to interview him. It's a, it's a great show. I, I, I still watch reruns of it. So, all right. How about a favorite martial arts movie? Movie Bloodsport. Nice. Okay. <laughs> and I, I watched it. You know, I was a. I watched it when I was a green belt, uh-huh. and I were well, when I was getting ready to test for green belt. I think that's when it was. And as as an adult, I got chicken pox. <laughs> I got quarantined, <laughs> and all I had with me was was a videotape of of um, blood sports. So okay. I watched that thing inside and out. <laughs> nice. That's actually cool. <laughs> for like twelve days, <laughs> quarantined for so long. <laughs> I, I still watch it at least once a year. It's, it's a go-to. It's a guilty pleasure. So <laughs> nice. All right. And well, now and now now of course it's Cobra Kai. Gotta watch. Gotta watch that. Oh, you, so you're a Cobra Kai fan? Okay, cool. Oh yes, oh yes. I watch it with my daughter. We 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 binged the whole uh, season five the day after it came out, and it's, I'm hoping we get season six. <laughs> so. It was funny. My husband's like, "What are you watching?" And I told him it was the security tapes from my school. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's awesome. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> All right. Final question. Now this one doesn't have to be a martial arts movie. Just it, it can be, but just a favorite movie fight scene. Is there one that just jumps out? Oh, geez. Okay. It wasn't like one particular. Do you remember that movie? Oing Bak? Oh, Oing Bak. Yes. With Tony Jaa. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That one. I love like where he slid underneath the car. Yeah. That whole like you know 10, that ten, like 10 minute fight slash chase scene. Yeah. Yeah. So okay, good. I would have to say that one. <laughs> Yeah, I'd, I'm hoping to get him on the show someday. That he'd be fun to talk to. About. That and I, I, I read somewhere that that whole sequence was filmed in one take, which is just insane. Wow. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know it's just crazy. So, 
is there anything else you want to, you want to mention or get out there before I let you go? You, you definitely had just an amazing life and career. And I mean, we could, I mean, we could have spent three hours just going through your resume and talking about everything on there, but is there any, anything else you want to you know mention or promote or anything we have coming up or? Well, I guess, um, you know, we do offer the martial arts training camp here. In fact, I've got a group coming on Monday, another group coming. So if anybody ever wants to come to Puerto Vallarta, oh, what fun. we do is we kind of customize a week. It's right here on the ocean. We use the ocean and the jungle. Okay. Um, and so it's physical training and it's also business seminars and they can kind of tailor it for what they want. Some mm. people want mostly business and a little bit of training. And some people want more training, less business. And some people, they get you know, like, how about play and a little <laughs> bit of business? <laughs> okay. You know, and we can kind of tailor it. We've got the accommodations. We've got incredible places uh, to stay. And plus, you know, we know the city. We're like little tour guides. We do all kinds of stuff here. So that's a, a really good way if anybody wants to kind of jumpstart and get motivated to go back and, and uh, have lots of ideas for recruitment, retention, team training, you know, marketing by the month, things like that. Okay. We can help you out with that. Nice. Is that just on the WhiteTigerTKD.com website they can find info? Yeah, if you go to WhiteTigerTKD.com, that's the main school website. But on the left-hand side where there's, there's that column, it says Train in Mexico. Yep. Just click on that. And that'll bring you to me. Perfect. And then you can click on the, the business seminars. And uh, we've really had some great trips. And, you know, it's also a tax write-off, too, if you own your own business. So it's great. Oh, well, there you go. I will put a link to that on the show notes for sure. So uh, when, when the episode oh, comes be, up, people can see that because that's okay. that'd be fun. I'd be I've, I've really n- never, never been to Puerto Vallarta, so I'd love to go. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, you didn't ask why I picked this place. Yeah. There, there's a reason why I picked here. It's, um, you know, as you, as you train more and more, and I'm, you've trained for decades as well, you mm-hmm. get into more of the internal, you know, martial arts. And it's the ley lines. This is the strongest point in, in all of the Americas. Okay. This is where 12 lines intersect here. There's the vortex right here, the largest vortex. Um, which is the energy lines of the earth, the ley lines, mm-hmm. is right here in Puerto Vallarta. Nice. Well, I just want to say thank you so much. This has been so much fun. I, I you just an amazing story. I, I love hearing about it, and especially I love interviewing you know fellow Taekwondo stylists. So <laughs> it's always fun to to talk about that, and and I just I, I so appreciate it, and, and it's been a blast having you on the show. Uh, well, thank you. It was really fun. It was really fun. Like I said, I could talk about martial arts forever. Thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artists. We hope you'll join us every week for a brand new episode with a different martial artist telling their story. If you enjoy the show, be sure to leave us a review. Also, be sure to check out our website at everydaymartialartist.com. There you can find all of our episodes and contact us to suggest guests and ask questions. Again, thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artists, and we'll see you next week.